0: We're going to talk about anger today, so it's going to be awesome. So canyons, did I wake you up? (laughs) Canyons. We've been talking about the the dark night of the soul. And what do we do in the moments, where is God in the moments where it feels like no one's there, when we're all alone? And we've talked about shame and how shame tends to cover us at times. Uh, We've we've talked about some things that, that we all struggle with from time to time that put us in dark places. And today I do want to talk about um, anger and, and I want to talk about disappointment and I want to talk about hell. <laughs> Some of you like picked your head up right when I said that, like he's going to talk about hell a little bit because it has to do with anger. But before we get, get there, I got to tell you a couple stories and uh, I love to tell you stories. So my dad, huge IU basketball fan, right? loves IU basketball, and there was a coach at IU, uh, don't, don't put it up yet, but there's a coach at IU that many of you will know. He's iconic in the Hoosier days. Do you guys know yeah. who I'm talking about? Who is it? Bobby. Bobby Knight, some of you remember Bobby Knight, don't put it up yet. Um, so Bobby Knight was this up and coming coach in the 70s and 80s, kind of built a dynasty in, in IU basketball, right? So any, who follows college basketball? Okay? Who knows Bobby Knight? Who knows that name? Almost all of us know the name Bobby Knight. Um, He was known for his love and his grace and his compassion for his players. (laughs) So... They won a couple national championships, 1985, they were moving, uh, it was was supposed to be a great year for them, 1985. Uh, Steve Alford was on the team, if you remember the name Steve Alford, and uh, they they really had created a a good team, and they they were ranked in the top 10 as as that year began. But it it was a tough year for Bobby Knight, not just on the basketball court, but also in his personal life. Uh, his, his marriage was falling apart, was kind of unraveling. The team started to unravel. In February of that year, um, they were playing Purdue, and it's kind of an iconic game at this point. 1985, uh, they were playing Purdue. Within the first five to seven minutes of the basketball game, uh, Bobby Knight was a little angry at the refs at the, at, at the time, and uh, they had called a, a foul when he thought it should be a jump ball. And sometimes he would talk to the refs when he coached and let them know that they were wrong and he was right. And so he had been talking to them and then they called another foul and he was just angry. And so he kept talking to them and apparently he used some language that the refs didn't like. And so they gave him a technical, you know, tee, like they teed him up, you know, the one time and he just had it, like it, it was enough. And so we have this iconic moment where this great basketball coach, he was 44 at the time, 44 years old, Um, which is the age of some of us in the room. And it's crazy, because I thought he looked older at the time, but now he looks younger than I thought he did back then. Anybody? (laughs) Anyway. So we have this iconic image where Bobby Knight, um, in his anger, picks up a chair and throws it across the basketball court during the game. Anybody remember this moment? Everybody remembers this moment. Some of you are like, no, I don't know this moment at all. In the middle of a basketball game, there's a player from Purdue on this side of the basketball court shooting a free throw. Bobby Knight turns around. Now, one of, one of, uh, one of his players later said that Bobby would have normally thrown his jacket, not a chair, but he had failed to bring his jacket to the court that day. And so he goes back to the sidelines where the bench is and all he can find is a chair. And he decides that's probably the best thing to throw across the basketball court. So he picks up this chair and he chunks it across the basketball court. It slides in front of uh, the Purdue player who's shooting a free throw, kind of runs onto the other side and hits, uh, hits some, some people on the other side. Now, um, the, the refs didn't think it was a good idea to throw a chair across the court. <laughs> and so they kicked him out of the game and it turned into this huge thing. Now, the fans in IU, at, at IU, at Assembly Hall at the time, do you think they were pretty upset at their, their head coach? They cheered him on in his anger. My dad was a huge IU fan. You know, he showed me as a kid this, I, I remember this, this happening. Now, uh, a couple years later, uh, they won the national championship and, and Dave Letterman had him on the show. And he explained what he was thinking when he threw the chair across the, the, the court. Some of you probably remember this. Uh, he was sitting with Dave Letterman, and Dave Letterman was talking about the, the national championship that he won. And he said, but really, what we all want to know about is the chair. Like, tell us about the chair incident. And Bobby Knight, without missing a beat, he said, yeah, yeah, so many people misunderstood what was going on. People think I threw out of anger, that I was mad at the referees. But actually, you know, it was only five minutes into the game, and so I wasn't that mad yet. Um, what happened was... During the beginning of the game, I noticed across the court that there was this little old lady who looked like my grandmother, and she couldn't find a place to sit down, and she needed a chair. And uh, Dave Letterman was like, oh, well, that clears it up. Thanks so much for that. You can find it on YouTube later, not right now. Um, But but this story is, is such an interesting story because we see an outburst of anger in Bobby Knight and something that seems like it doesn't match the circumstance. Like less than five minutes into the basketball game, five to seven minutes into the basketball game, Bobby Knight is so uh, intense in his anger at 44 years old, and you realize that there is so much more going on within Bobby Knight than a basketball game. Now, it was common for him to throw chairs, not during games, but some of his players later said that he, like they would count uh, at practice at times, how many chairs he threw at one time, like at one practice, and his record was like 52 in one practice. Like he threw chairs a lot. That's part of it. But, you know, later, you know, it comes out. He's, his, his wife, they're like they're having terrible things at home. There's just so much going on within him that he doesn't, hasn't dealt with. And then that anger spills out and it becomes so much bigger. Now, many would say this was the beginning of the downfall. Of Bob Knight. It definitely was at IU. But really, his coaching career never never really became what it could have become. He was such a brilliant basketball coach. It never became what, what it could have been. And isn't that how anger works in us? Doesn't it derail us from our potential? In the relationships that matter most to us, doesn't it tend to create the most painful circumstances to those that we love the most? I mean, in my life, that's true. Those that are closest to me, they tend to get the brunt of something that may not even have to do with them. Because anger does something within us. Well, that's why I want to talk about it. And I want to talk about the darkness um, that, that that all of us from time to time experience due to anger and disappointment. Now, David, we've been talking about David in this series and the Psalms that he wrote. So I want to, I want to tell you a, a little unknown story about David. David was the king. Uh, last week, I told you that he had an affair with Bathsheba, and then he killed Bathsheba's husband to cover it up. He went through this whole cover-up thing. He finally admitted what he had done. He confessed it, but there were consequences to it. Uh, As a part of David's kingdom, his son Absalom turns on him and takes the kingdom from him. It's a crazy story of how it happens. Can you imagine One of your own family members, let's say you build a business, you own this business, and your son or daughter somehow kind of works their way in, gets the employees to turn on you and has an opportunity and they take the business from you. Can you imagine how disappointed you would be? I mean, probably the person that you saw that you were going to hand the business to, they take it from you in a dishonest way. They have people turn against you. Like this is what was going on with David and he feels betrayed by his son, Absalom. Because of Absalom taking basically David's army and turning against him, David realizes, I've got to flee Jerusalem. I've got to leave town or I'm going to be killed. So he, he gets, uh, in, in his disappointment and in his probably anger, he gets his closest men and they take off. And as they leave, there's this crazy thing that happens. They're leaving town and they're in a, in a little space um, and... Bahurim, King David and his, his, uh, his men come to this little little village, and a man comes out of the village cursing them. Uh, this man's name is, is Shimi. Let's call him Shimi. Uh, it was Shimi, son of Gera, and he threw stones at the king and the king's men. Now, David's leaving. David's been all-powerful, so he could have done whatever he wanted to do when he was in power. But now he's in a moment, disappointed, angry, can't really do anything about it. Shimei is taunting him. Comes out of the village just taunting David, throwing stones at him and his men. But David can't do anything about it. Can you imagine what's simmering within him? Have you ever been there? Like being taunted? Maybe not by somebody out loud. I mean, most people don't throw stones at us anymore. Um, But, like, just that slow-burning anger that's in us. Am I the only one that experiences that? Anybody else? Like, when someone's driving 30 miles an hour in front of you on Shea, they're taunting you. They know you have somewhere to be. Some of you are like, you need counseling. Anyway, David... You know, this isn't the story he thought was going to happen, like many of us. It's not the story we thought, and so we're angry, but then it seems like someone's just taunting us. So he goes on, and David expresses to God his, his anger, his frustration. Oh, Lord, I have so many enemies. They're, they're against me. But you, oh, Lord, listen to this. He, he, he begins with prayer, and it, and it seems as though David is expressing his anger in a healthy way toward God. You know, and, and God can handle our anger. We've talked about that in the series. God can handle our frustration, our, our disappointments, our doubts, all of that. And So he turns to him, God, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. Now, I want to challenge you to read Psalm 3 this, this week. It's like he, he's asking God to kill his enemies. Have you ever been there? Not the people on Shea, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> um, he said, I lay down and I slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. Like David in his anger and disappointment turns toward God and he says, God, you are the one who protects me. I want to I find my hiding place in you. So it seems like it's this super helpful outlet for him. That prayer and maybe journaling and worship is this helpful outlet for David. And it has become the prayer book for us, the Psalms. It's like a prayer book, a worship book for all of us. And through throughout uh, Christian history, that's what the Psalms have been. They've been a, an outlet in our times of anger, in our times of joy, in our times of shame, an outlet for us. And it looks like it's helpful. God eventually restores David to the throne uh, in Israel. And so Absalom's out, David comes back. Now listen to when David's coming back and, and the details that we find in Scripture, I find fascinating. You should read the Bible. Read your stinking Bible. It's awesome. As David was about to cross the river back into Jerusalem, Shimei comes out of the village again, the same guy that was taunting him, begging for his life, my Lord, please forgive me. Forget what I did, right? Those who taunt us then become our best friends when we're back in power, you know, and, and, and David could have done anything. He could have put him to death. And, but what, is, what does he say back to Shimei? David vowed, your life will be spared. And so you look at this story and you think, man, David went to God in prayer in the Psalms and he was able to deal with all of his anger. And then when Shimei comes back to him, he's able to show Shimei mercy and not do anything to him and everything's great. Isn't that how life always turns out? Like we're angry and we come to church because we're disappointed and frustrated and angry and we worship and we walk out of here and everything's great and the per- person we're angry with shows up in our bedroom because they're our spouse and everything's great and it's perfect and it's wonderful and our kids finally do what we've asked them to do for the last three weeks and it's awesome and everything's great. Isn't this how life always turns out? And we let go of the anger and it's done. It's gone. But that's not the end of the story. And sometimes we think it's always beautiful in the end and, and in the Bible, it must all work out in the end and it's great. But that doesn't happen in this story either. David shows him mercy in this moment, but something happened within David, we find out later, he could not let go of what Shimi did. David lives the rest of his life, he's on his deathbed. Catch this, I mean, this is the truth of Scripture, he's on his deathbed, and he gives his final instructions, seriously, his final instructions to his son Solomon, who's taken over. And he says this, And remember Shimei, on his deathbed. Remember Shimei, son of Gera, the man from Bahram. He cursed me with a terrible curse, right? When he came down to meet me, I showed him mercy. I swore that I would not kill him. And we feel like, Okay. David, you're able to deal with it. You're going to tell your son how to forgive people like you forgave people. And it's awesome. God's going to move on and whatever. And it's going to be good. But then he continues. But that oath does not make him innocent. You are a wise man and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. (laughs) Then David died and was buried. You should read the Bible. It is better than what you watch on TV. Like they should make a like a TV series on this, right? Like modern day. So you think that it's all good. David turns to God with the psalm. God, you are my shield. You're my protector. I'm angry, but you're good. Shimmy, hey, I'm going to show you mercy. It's all good. Laying on my deathbed. Solomon's like, David, what's the final thing you want me to remember? Do you remember Shimmy? <laughs> Solomon's like, I have no idea who you're talking about. There's this guy named Shimmy. And Shimmy threw rocks at me one time, years ago. I promised him I wouldn't kill him, but I never promised him you wouldn't kill him. You're a wise man, and I want you to arrange a bloody, painful, excruciating death for him. That's all I got. Good night. He's out. What? What do we do with that? Like, what do you do when you read scripture and you think, oh, it's all supposed to work out? Well, you get, a, you get insight, you get, you get an idea that, you know what, things don't always work out. And sometimes anger can hang around in our hearts and our minds, and it can create this living hell for us and for other people around us if we're not able to deal with it. And so I wish I could tell you that, like, it's all perfect and it's all good, but it's not. And finally, Jesus comes on the scene. And so we follow Jesus, Right? Jesus comes on the scene. And, and I wanna, what I want to dig into now is I want to dig into some teaching from Jesus because I think Jesus gives us something that's extremely helpful when it comes to anger. More helpful than looking at the story of David because David obviously didn't deal with his anger very well. He, he kept it going in him. The prayer, awesome. Turning to God, awesome. Not being able to really show mercy and forgive Shimei for what he did, not awesome. Can you imagine, like... For that to be stirring within him for years, can you imagine what it did to him? Not being able to forget, forgive, all of that. Um, so Jesus. One thing I love about Jesus is he doesn't, he, he doesn't say, don't get angry, because that wouldn't be helpful for us, would it? How many of you have been angry? How many of you are angry right now? Yeah. Some of you, I mean, we, we, we laugh, but some of you are ticked off right now. And maybe you're ticked off because of something that happened this week, but some of you are mad about something that's been going on for a long time. And Jesus, you know, sometimes we think Jesus is just like, oh, he's going to make it all better. And he, like Jesus doesn't just come in and say, don't be angry, because he knows anger is an emotion that all of us will deal, we'll deal with. And let me just say before we jump into Jesus' uh, teaching that, like, I, I would say I'm the chief among us at, at anger. I live with it. I have this slow-simmering anger that just tends to be just beneath the surface. I've, I've told you about this from time to time. I think I'm going to deal with it my whole life. I have this, um, I don't know what you would call it, superpower to see everything that's wrong and get angry about it. And not just what's wrong with others or in, in situations, like with myself and be angry with myself. I get angry at myself because I feel like I let people down. I feel like I let my wife down. I feel like, I, so like I, I am angry a lot and I have to work on it and the, the words of Jesus are so helpful for me. So wherever you are with anger today, know that you're not alone like like let's meet me at district. We can talk about anger. <laughs> I I just I struggle I struggle with anger almost all the time. And I'm trusting Jesus to transform that in me and his teaching to lead me in a better path. I'm so much better today than I was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I remember in high school Punching a hole in a wall? Have anybody ever punched a hole in a wall? You're in church. God knows. I don't have to know, but God knows. Anybody? It hurts. It's not a good idea because you can break stuff, but um, not just the wall, but your hand. Anyway, so Jesus, go to Jesus. He says this, you've heard it said, you must not murder. So uh, I'm going to walk through just a couple pieces to help us contextually with what Jesus is doing here. Usually when Jesus said, you've heard it said, what he was doing was bringing up some Old Testament law. That they had heard so have you ever heard the law don't murder do not murder it's actually one of the ten like ten commandments you remember the ten commandments in sunday school that's so jesus is saying you've heard that it was said and usually what it means is jesus is about to reframe the whole conversation you've heard that it was said do not murder if you murder you are subject to judgment now hold on pause right there now how many of us maybe i shouldn't ask this how many of us have been pretty good on the don't murder thing most of us probably have been pretty good on the don't murder thing. And uh, for some of us, it creates this false sense of righteousness. Like, I, I cannot murder people. I do pretty good in that department. I, I'm probably not going to kill anybody this week or next week. And I'll probably go my whole life without killing anybody. God, I must be pretty good because I got one of the ten down Pat. But what Jesus wants to do is he wants to reframe uh, something from the Old Testament, the old law, the old covenant. He wants us to understand it in a new law, in in, in in a new understanding, not a law, but in his grace. He wants us to understand really the depth of what God maybe was talking about that we miss. So it's not just about murder, like physical murder, because there's other kinds of murder. Are you with me? There's other kinds of murder in life, not just physical murder. And so he says, but I say, you've heard it said, but I say to you, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Oh, that's all of us. We're all in that camp. So it's all good. Like, you don't have to feel like he's just pointing at you. He's pointing at everybody in the room right now. Uh, I tell you, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Now, in the Greek, so some of you are going to geek out with me here just for a second. There's two different words that, that are translated into anger in our language. And uh, the first word uh, is, is themos. So can you say themos? Themos is like a quick flare-up of this emotion as a response to a certain situation. So if you're driving down Shea, I talk about this a lot, if you're driving down Shea and someone pulls in front of you and there are three cars in the three lanes driving 40 miles an hour, even though the speed limit's 50, like that anger that you feel in that moment, that's like, Uh, Themos, right? That's that's that kind of anger. It's like a quick flare-up. Some of us can't get over it. We need to deal with it. I need to see a counselor. I get it. Don't email me. I I know. But that's kind of the quick thing. That's not the word Jesus uses here. He's not talking about the quick moments of anger that we feel. Uh, Orizo, can you say orizo? Yeah, orizo is like a slow brewing emotion that continues to churn over time. Anybody have any idea what that feels like on the inside? That's the anger Jesus is talking about. And he's saying, uh, if, if any of you have this slow-churning anger within you, that's, that's what will, will, will subject you to, to judgment. And he goes on. If you call someone raka, and I, and I left the Greek in there because it, it's not a great translation. Um, some of your Bibles will say idiot. If you call someone idiot, you're in danger of being brought b- before the Sanhedrin, which was the supreme court of the day, which Jesus is like, you feel like, are you blowing this out of proportion? Like if you call someone idiot, I mean, there's idiots all over the place. Like if you call someone that, you're like, that's taking you to the Sanhedrin. And That word raka isn't just about someone's behavior. It's about who they are as a person. Like, so he's saying calling someone, and I'm going to use the word idiot, but probably you could substitute like a four-letter word or something in here that might work better, um, where he says, like, when I call you an idiot, I'm not saying what you just did was idiotic. I'm saying you are not worthy to be a person. Like, you are nothing. That's what Jesus is saying. If, if you say that to someone, you're not just like, it's not just about their ac- actions, it's about who they are. You're like, you're speaking about who they are. And if, if that happens, you're in danger of being brought before the Supreme Court because it's like you're killing someone. Like, you're, you're getting after the dignity of their life and who God has created them to be. And if you curse someone, you're in, the, <laughs> you're in danger of the fires of hell. I told you I wanted to talk about hell. Now, sometimes the way we talk about hell in our culture and the way we view it uh, scripturally, we, we miss it. In, in this day, Gehenna, what, he, what he's actually talking about is an actual place just outside of Jerusalem That was like a trash dump where people from Jerusalem would bring all their trash and then they would catch it on fire. And so, like the 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 fires of hell, that when Jesus mentions that, he's usually talking about like a specific place that they would have known where they brought all of their trash, their dump, they put everything that was worthless, they caught it on fire, and it was like this everlasting fire that just never burned out because it's where they took all their trash. So people take our trash from in front of our houses and it disappears and we don't know what happens to it. They would take it to the the fire and it would burn. And so what he says is if you curse someone, if you, if you get at the dignity of their life, like you're in danger of, of, of going somewhere where the fire just never runs out. Have you ever been so consumed by anger? It was like a fire that you could not quench. Are you with me? Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's brilliant as a teacher. Some of us think what Jesus is saying is if you curse someone, you're bound to go to hell when you die, which is some far off place that, so be fearful of that. No, no, Jesus is saying if you curse someone, you're you're binding, you're putting yourself in a place where you will, like, you will never be able to quench that. That's where David went, right? He couldn't quench what was going on within him, and eventually he had to let it spill out on Solomon, who then had to go take care of business for him. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Anger often opens the door of hell. And when we pour out our wrath on those around us because of our anger, we extend hell into the world we know. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. And that's why I want to take anger seriously in my life. Because I don't want to be the one guilty of extending hell to the lives of those that I love, those I care about. I, I don't want I don't, I to don't be guilty of, of putting myself in a place that just has this slow-burning, unquenchable emotion within me. So what do we do with that? You're like, okay, Jesus, I hear you. Seems like it's a tough place to be, but what do I do with that? So so Jesus gives some really practical advice. Check, Check out what he says next. So, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice. Go and be reconciled, and then come back. Now, culturally, we don't really know what this means, it's kind of a weird thing, but go with me just for a second. This, I love this, I geek out on this kind of stuff. Anybody else? Okay, the rest of you just fade off, I'll call you back here in just a second. So Jesus is teaching, this is the Sermon on the Mount, it's the, one of the most famous teachings of Jesus. Anybody know where he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, anybody? Galilee, good. Nobody said it, but I just acted like somebody did. Galilee. Jesus was teaching in Galilee. Galilee was north of Jerusalem. Just take a stab. How many miles do you think it is? 20. Close. 70. (laughs) About 70 miles north of Jerusalem is Galilee. Jesus is teaching in Galilee. There was only one temple and one altar that Jesus could have been talking about. And that temple was in Jerusalem. Yeah, not a trick question. You're with me now. Awesome. Here we go. So Jesus is teaching in Galilee and he's saying to people, listen, one time a year you take your sacrifice and you walk to Jerusalem. There's no bus. There's no mass transportation. There's no flights that get down there. You have to walk 70 miles, 70 miles. If you've walked that 70 miles with whatever sacrifice you're bringing, a goat, a lamb, whatever it is that you're dragging down there with you, you get there and you're at the altar in the temple and you realize there's something burning within you. He's talking about anger. There's something that you haven't been able to get past. What what should you do? Leave it, walk 70 miles Back home to deal with whatever it is that you've got going on, 70 miles of walking will give you time to process. It'll give you time to think. It'll, it'll give you time to get a better perspective of whatever it is that's eating you alive. You go, and to the best of your ability, you, you reconcile. Now, it takes two to reconcile, so that that doesn't always happen, but to the best of your ability, do what you can to reconcile that situation. And then call it good. Go home and enjoy No, no. Then come back to the temple. How many miles? So now the person has walked how many? This is a trick question if you take math. A lot. Okay, good. Um, they're back there, right? 210? Got my math people. 210 miles, you've now walked. You're in great shape. It's awesome. You're back. Now present your altar and then go home, then return. Brilliant teaching from Jesus because we don't just get over it. We can't just stuff it down and be done with it. And here's something that I think holds so many of us back, myself included, and, and that's this, that our relationship with God is intricately tied to our relationship with other people, whether or not we realize it. Isn't that interesting? As important as the temple was and all that, Jesus said, no, 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 go be reconciled and then come back to the temple. The temple will be here. God will be here. Like your relationship with other people It's tied to your relationship with God. Sometimes we think, man, it seems like God is so silent and I'm so angry at my spouse over here or my kids or my boss or my workers or whatever it is. I am so angry at them and it seems like God is silent. Could it be that this relationship has created a little bit of blockage with this relationship? And that we need some time to deal with this relationship so that then this relationship is free. Um, real quick, anger cycle, then we'll, we'll be done. Um, I, I think we, we live in this cycle. Many of us, especially in our culture today, we live in this anger cycle. And I think um, some of you are going to be mad at me when I say this and you're going to throw something at me. I think news like stirs this up in us. I think sometimes when we pay attention to the news, like it's just trying to get us into this. Send me an email later, joe at mcdowell.church. Okay, so I think we're, <laughs> we're, um, we're offended. So let's start here at the offense. Like so someone offends us. Someone offends us. Like they do something they shouldn't do. Do you know who I am? Like you shouldn't speak to me. So we're offended. And then we feel some sort of contempt for that person. Which then leads us into a place of judgment. Now, now, I'm no, I'm no longer just angry at you. I am going to pronounce on you that you are nothing. You raka. You idiot. Right? Which leads us to a place of hell, both internally and externally with the people around us. And that cycle, when, when hell gets a hold of us internally and externally, it just gets us back to where we're offended again. They did it again they did it again. And and I think four quick observations of maybe how to get out of this cycle at some level. The first is this, to start with prayer. I think David did the right thing. Go first to God. I keep saying this, start with prayer, right? Start with prayer. Use the Psalms if you need them. Start with prayer and find grace from God. The second thing, um, the second piece is to write a different story. In that 70 miles it was possible to begin writing a different story in, in your mind. Have you ever like, been so angry with someone because you assumed something that wasn't that you later found out wasn't true? And so you write a different story in your mind. Maybe they didn't just disregard me. Maybe something else was going on in their life. So you write a different story. The third uh, third piece is to practice forgiveness 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 is not a building that we build it's a garden that we tend and we have to practice it every day until it takes root forgiveness is like a garden that has to be worked daily until it takes root and even then we have to go and pull the weeds on occasion Some of us will have issues. We we deal with our whole lives that we're angry and that anger continues to bubble up and we have to keep working the soil and practicing forgiveness as hard as it is. And then finally, we seek reconciliation to the best of our ability. Like that we take the first step and and this little phrase, we want to value relationship above being right. Anyone else struggle with that one? <laughs> like if, if I go and I humble myself and say, you know, it doesn't really matter who's right or wrong here, but I do want you to know I was right. <laughs> I've tried that in marriage. It's not awesome. <laughs> to, to be able to just humble ourselves and say, you know, it doesn't matter because the relationship here is so much more important than figuring out who was right. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to help us with, the relationship.